Hey there, and welcome to Time for Chai, the podcast series where leaders in manufacturing, commodities, risk, supply chain management, and digital technology come to share truly actionable insight based on real-world experiences. I'm your host, Jake Jacobs, Head of Growth at Chai. I'm really pleased to introduce my guest this week, Dr. Nick Wright. Now, there are three reasons why I'm particularly pleased that Nick has agreed to come on the show as one of the early guests. Firstly, he and Digital Caspol have been pivotally important for Chai as a company, particularly in the early stages. Secondly, he's a, he has a real genuine and deep passion for science, technology, and engineering. And the third reason that I'm particularly excited is that Nick has a unique view of the manufacturing industry that takes in multiple different perspectives from his academic work, his time in industry with JLR, Ford, and BE Aerospace, in consulting, leading Accenture's aerospace and defense practice, and now as head of manufacturing industries at Digital Catapult. Welcome, Nick. Great to have you on the show. Hi, Jake. Thank you very much for having me. No, no worries at all. So, Nick, I'd like to get straight into talking a little bit about the work that you're currently involved in with Digital Catapult and, you know, the, the kind of DigiCat perspective on UK manufacturing right now in this particularly unusual moment. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. It's an ever-changing landscape, I think, as we go day by day. But the, the sort of overriding headline, I guess, is that manufacturing has been hit really, really hard. We're seeing some industries that have, uh, over the last few years, been to thrive. So if we look at our UK aerospace and aviation sector, which is one of the biggest sort of subsectors within manufacturing mm-hmm. has been absolutely decimated. And we're seeing reports of 50% cuts potentially uh, over the next five years in terms of that size of that industry. And the UK manufacturing base is a really key part of that. Mm. And we look at some of the other industries like the automotive industry where orders have massively slowed. And some of even the more foundation ones about supplying raw materials, supply chains are just kind of ground to a halt. And it, it's, it's a really, really difficult time for a lot of businesses. Mm. And just kind of staying afloat is probably the biggest thing that people are um, they're concentrating on. And for, for us from Digital Catapult, our remit really is to try and help industry with innovation. And we're trying to help them explore uh, and try out all these uh, really cool, new, exciting, advanced digital technologies experiment and see which ones can drive the most amount of value for them and Mm. many of the people that we talk to in industry that's kind of fallen right to the bottom of their um their to-do list but there are some elements of light and i think the current situation with covid has really shone a light on supply chain resilience and Mm. supply chain sustainability and if you you kind of look at things like our food and drink ecosystem and the, the bullwhip effect and how that hit us in the early days with things like uh, toilet paper and pasta and these massive amounts of demand and ultimately the supply chain just wasn't able to respond. And that presents opportunity. You know, there's a whole load of the, the food and drink ecosystem is, is not going to go away even in times of crisis. And so this presents an opportunity, we think, for some of those companies to start thinking about innovation and how we can make our supply chains more resilient. Because ultimately... Uh, we could be treating this COVID-19 as a a warning because there are future threats on the horizon for much of our manufacturing sectors. Um, We've got the current global uh, climate challenge, which is a threat to, again, things like aerospace and food and drink. We have uh, an ever-rising global population. And if you look at our food and drink sector as well, we have to uh, more than tenfold improve the energy efficiency or the energy transfer 
of food and drink into our diets. So we've got some massive things that are coming around the corner and we need to be able to respond to that. So from a digital catapult point of view, we really want to help businesses try and understand how digital could play a role in tomorrow. But we really uh, respect the fact that many businesses have got to deal with the issues of today. Mm. But it really is a, a key point in time, I think, for people to start thinking about what the world of tomorrow might look like. Because the one thing that I am absolutely convinced about is it's not going to look the same. We're not going to go back to the same kind of work uh, tomorrow as we did today. So, I mean, do you, first of all, you know, it's really interesting to hear you talking about supply chain and food and drink. You mentioned a couple of times in there as well. We're actually going to be talking to Nikki Hunt, who's a director at the FDF Food and Drink Federation in a future episode, and Steve Wall, who's a supply chain guru for FMCG as well. So that's really interesting to hear. But on your kind of you know, the bigger point there, it really does feel as though this, the silver, one of the silver linings of COVID-19 is it's created a moment which necessitates introspection and means that these manufacturing companies are having to look at themselves and think about business model innovation to not just kind of, you know, survive, but potentially thrive in a post-virus world. What, what do you think? It's difficult to disagree with that at all. I think there's more to it than just business models. And I think what we have to be conscious of is in order to create this new world of thriving businesses in the manufacturing sector, we're going to see an awful lot of consolidation. So there are going to be a lot of businesses that go out of business that can't make it, that are already kind of working hand to mouth. And remember that margins in this sector, generally speaking, are very low. Mm. So being conscious of that, it, it, it does present a lot of opportunity, though, that consolidation. You're absolutely right. And the, the business models is something that often gets ignored when we're talking especially about digital. So it's really easy for, for us, uh, people like you and I, Jake, in digital-focused businesses to always get buried in the technology. But it's actually the, what the technology enables in terms of new potential business models. And people, are, we've been talking in this sector for a while about servitization. And it's been really slow to get going on. And I think people really struggle with how that works. And I think now is the time for people to start thinking about how that might work. And I also think there's, a, there's another angle on the sort of technology side and the technology vendors. Kind of similar to the servitized model is value-based business models or outcome-based business models. Because when we, when we do start going back to work and people do start trying to implement some of these things, there's potentially going to be a, a shortage of investment or a real reluctance and uh, a conservatism about where to place your bets. And so this is where I think there's now is the time for us as technology people to start thinking about our business models as well and how we best engage industry so that the technology not only lands quickly, but it delivers value for them quickly. And that presents an opportunity for technology vendors too to, to kind of have a slice of the pie. And I think that the word partnership is something that I personally have gone on a bit of a journey with. And when I first got into this sector, a lot of people talked about partnerships and what that meant was they wanted money from me. Uh, <laughs> they kind of treated you as a partner, but really it was a sales pitch. Yeah. And if you look in, in other sectors, if you see what goes on in a lot of retail, especially companies have these partnerships where it's very much there are multiple winners. Yeah. And it's like, I will do this for you and this will help me and this will help all of us and we will all gain together. And I think that the manufacturing sector is on generally kind of about ready to start recognizing the value of real partnerships. 
and actually have a number of different partners in its ecosystem, in its supply chain, who are not just customers and suppliers, but there are things that we can do to make each other win. And it's something that is quite unique in manufacturing where the, the kind of capability in engineering and manufacturing companies is all around IP. Like mm-hmm. people developing and owning their IP and they're used to grabbing and holding on and owning that thing. Yeah. The world of digital is not like that. It's much more disparate. And, and this is where partnerships come in. And I think that for me is the exciting bit of the business model is figuring out how these sort of partnerships win with digital innovators to create create the business model and the new revenue so that it's not just the manufacturer that's driving new revenue, but it's some of the new exciting tech companies. Mm. So we've got some fantastic capability in the UK, Chai being a classic example of that, where you know we want to try and exploit that. We want to see how they can grow. And, and that won't come through old-fashioned customer-buyer-supplier relationships. It'll come through partnerships. I totally agree with you on that, Nick. It's really interesting to hear you say that, actually, because one of the things that I've observed as someone that's relatively new to the manufacturing industry, to be honest, is it does feel like there's quite a lot of reticence, hesitancy from a lot of manufacturing firms engaging with, you know, some of the kind of startup or scale up businesses. And it reminds me a little bit of the initial reticence that a lot of banks had to engaging fintechs. And now if you look at the kind of financial ecosystem, financial technology ecosystem, they all work together and there's a lot of collaboration and partnerships and they kind of, you know, appreciate that the other one is a crucial part of the ecosystem of the kind of symbiotic relationship. Is that kind of what you, what you mean there? Yeah, I think so. I think the industries are, are different, obviously, and massively different. And there's so many reasons why uh, manufacturing organizations struggle with working with small companies um, because ultimately the production line is the thing that keeps the lights on and Mm. if that stops working or if any part of the business stops working then as we can see right now it's uh, massive revenue losses and huge problems yeah so there's there's always a conservatism about it and digital systems you know they've got to work and so people need to build that level of confidence and make sure that uh, they're comfortable and and they the systems work ultimately I, I think we're starting to build some of that knowledge and, and capability. And certainly I, I feel that a lot of the, the people I talk to in the sector are keen to work with small companies. They, they like the innovation. They, they like the things they bring, but they want to see it proven time and time again. They want to see examples. And, and this is where uh, I think there's a really interesting divergence around innovation in manufacturing. Yeah. So if, uh, if I take myself back to my previous life as a proper engineer type person, yeah. uh, developing like materials and manufacturing systems, I worked in R&D at Jaguar Land Rover, for example, and we were prepared to fail. Like I started early stage R&D projects. Uh, I had no idea whether they were going to work. In fact, I did a, a doctorate on welding that took four years, Jaguar Land Rover and Ford. And the conclusion at the end of it was that it doesn't work. Um, so Brilliant. that's a classic piece of manufacturing technology that, yeah. you know, that we, Jaguar Land Rover and Ford invested an awful lot of money in, but they saw a potential business benefit and they tried it out. They experimented, they failed, they learned a lot. And some of the processes evolved uh, as a result of that learning. But there's a perception of digital and innovation that's totally different. And it's, I think it's driven by the fact that digital is predominantly a consumer, a relatable thing. 
So yeah. the way you interact with digital is predominantly through your phone, through your TV, through applications that you download and they work. And that's what people expect, especially from small startups from you. So I'm sure you must get tons of inquiries that where people say, show is it working? Like, mm. Come and like, show is it working? And then we'll think about it. And that for me is not innovation. And this is the mentality that I want to see industry differently in our new world post-COVID, where innovation around digital is treated in the same way that innovation around product or manufacturing technology is treated, where people do see it as something to take a risk on, something to try out, something to invest in, and not as like a commoditized thing that they can just buy off the shelf and integrate into their, into their businesses. Mm. That's really interesting. Really, really interesting. I think that you say kind of about, I guess, quantifying the value in a lot of ways and, and you know, demonstrating to people that what you do works. I think that's particularly the case with a lot of the kind of medium-sized manufacturing companies, small, medium-sized businesses, where they have really finite resource and budget, so they can't, you know, go after some big dream that involves a massive leap to industry 4.0. To take it, you know, back to kind of chai for a second, actually, I think we've been quite fortunate in a lot of ways because what we do is very black and white in terms of, you know, we produce the daily prediction, the number which says whether the price of aluminium or oil or whatever is going to go up or down. And so it's quite easy to assign value to that, I think. It's not mm -hmm. like a big leap. Yeah, it's powered by AI, but we don't, we, our solution isn't just about the AI. It's very much about the result at the end of it. That's really, really interesting to hear what you're saying. And actually, I think that it kind of evokes me thoughts around some of the conversations I've had with people saying about how a lot of the management, senior management in their companies are quite skeptical of some of these digital technologies. I don't know if you've got any advice for folk who see the, the benefits and get it, but they're trying to actually kind of convert the non-believers in their businesses. Yeah, I mean, I, I see the same thing. And I think that the word digital transformation uh, scared a lot of people off. I, I think it's now not a, it's not, for me, it's not something to go and shout about is the word digital transformation and the kind of disrupt or be disrupted or innovate or die. Again, it, they're all things that start to scare people off. And part of that is because we kind of had our, our third industrial revolution that has impacted the manufacturing sector already. And a lot of people say that, you know, they're still going through that process. But th this is kind of like the, the advent of the enterprise resource planning system, the product lifecycle management system, the manufacturing execution system, big, expensive enterprise solutions delivered by big technology players. Typically, um, they're not traditionally that flexible. And if you do want uh, customization in them, it costs you a lot. And then as you start to learn more about the systems, you want more and more capability. So you customize it more and more and more, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the original business case for investment, it never really follows through. Not in, in my experience so far, it rarely does. And I think that's where the perception of industry when it comes to digital transformation is. Kind of going back to your point is, like the some of the smaller things in the way the world is now and, and what digital really means you know people have moved to the cloud it's a, it's a massive thing the cloud is there and it allows us to create really flexible adaptable pieces of software pieces of technology uh, that people can use and adapt 
that agile methodologies mean that change is, is not as expensive as perhaps it once was. And that I think is something that industry needs to kind of learn it is uh, how it is that process of innovation and that yeah. process of yeah. software development, which is different to the industry approach to product development, which is knowing everything, getting your requirements set out, understanding absolutely everything in a technical sense so that when it gets to manufacturing, you don't have, because the cost of change at manufacturing level is way, way higher than the cost of change at an engineering level. Sure. And that is kind of like the perception of industry. But with software, you can, you can treat it completely differently. You can break it and keep changing it, and it doesn't really cost you anything. So you don't need to know everything right at the beginning. And that would be my advice for uh, a lot of companies who are trying to convince some of their leadership or convince some of the doubters, is that the way that you develop digital technologies is not the way that you develop a new product or a new piece of manufacturing technology. You don't need to know everything. And we find this with a lot of our clients and our industrial partners where we, you know, we can develop a solution in a few weeks. It's really lightweight. It's a bit rough around the edges. It's never going to be production ready, but it shows that it works. But it's not throwaway. That work is not wasted. We build upon it. We iterate. We keep building more and more capability uh, until you start hitting kind of what's known as a minimum viable product. And, yeah. and these are sort of things that, then can be scaled and can really work in an industrial context. And I don't think industry really gets that agile methodology yet. And that would be the thing that I would convince, try to work with, I'd say to kind of innovation leaders in the industry sector, you need to tell people it's not the way it was. The waterfall methodology has moved on. And yes, there may be some projects where we do need a bit more of a waterfall approach, but Agile is here and software is flexible and it's adaptable and it's quick to make change and it's not expensive. And that for me is the, I think, a really key point that people need to learn. Hello, I'm Stephen Butler, Chief Commercial Officer at Chai. Here at Chai, we're working hard to try and provide people like yourselves who are involved in the industry with the correct insights and data that will help you make the critical decisions in these uncertain times. If you would like to learn more about our service, please check out our company website, chai-uk.com, or follow our market updates on LinkedIn. Thank you very much, and please enjoy the show. Like, do you find that people ask you for changes in, in your product? Oh, absolutely, Nick, you know, completely. And actually, it's something that we really embrace. One of the things that is, is you know, really well established when we talk about kind of startup product development and bringing a new product to market from the experiences that I've had previously. It's very much about building what people actually want, not building an ivory tower because you think it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. So actually one of the exercises we're going through right now, we launched like a minimum viable feature set, not even minimal, minimum viable products yet, to a select number of early access clients who are giving us great feedback. And we have this really tight feedback loop where we're literally building what they're asking for as long as there's enough of an ask, right? And, and it makes kind of business sense to do so. So that's led to us launching new commodities, you know, that we're making predictions for, new features. One of the things that really early on is we actually launched an explainability mechanism to our predictions. So we don't just make the prediction of whether the price of copper is going to go up or down, but we also explain why we've made that prediction. 
So whether it's you know significant influence from satellite imagery, uh, data which we take in as one of our data uh, inputs, or whether it's actually because of seasonality, whatever the, the reason is. So yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you on that point. I think it's really important to not be afraid to fail, but when you do fail, to fail forwards. And as part of that iteration process to end up finding you know, a product that people don't just like, but they need it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. And, and that, that's a totally different mentality if you had a physical product. You yeah. need to get absolutely everything right before you sent that thing to the factory to get made. And mm. that's where the mentality differs, basically. That, that's fair enough, you know, because you've got kind of materials that you can't then like unengineer and, and you know, reuse, right? There's so much more kind of cost that's built into that process. Exactly. Yeah, that's really, really interesting to, to hear you say that, actually. Um, so one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about was uh, if we're talking about some of the big technologies that are very on vogue, blockchain, everyone keeps talking about it, you know, AI again. What's your view of some of the innovative technologies that are being talked about and, and how you feel like they could actually be used in a very real, valuable sense in industry? I don't know if there's any that kind of come to mind that you've been playing with recently or... Uh, yeah, I mean, well, we have like four technology programs that we specialize in, which are the, we have our future networks program, which looks at the kind of wireless infrastructure of the future. So things like low power wide area networks and 5G is a massive program for us. We look at AI and machine learning as another program, immersive technologies, and then distributed systems, which includes all of your kind of blockchain stuff. And, and that, for me, uh, it makes up what we call the sort of modern technology stack. So uh, there's a, in any kind of industrial solution, you need to think about where you get data from, like data gathering. And ultimately, this will, as we start to see national rollouts of low-power wide area networks and 5G, uh, we'll be able to start gathering more and more rich data. And it's that rich data that's required to do clever things like AI, machine learning. You, you've got to have like a good data set. Mm. And manufacturing traditionally uh, does not have that. So that's why we're sort of grounded in the future networks. We look to build and uh, optimize capability and uh, develop optimized solutions with AI. The distributed systems thing is something for me that has the biggest potential impact in supply chain, um, just in terms of building trust and transparency. But it all starts to, bit, you know, you see how these layers kind of build up on each other. And then uh, for immersive, we see huge amounts of application in, you know, training and assisted operations within the sector. You know, if you look at all of the sort of the reports from the big strategy places, AI is kind of continually the technology with the biggest amount of, I would say, unfulfilled potential. IoT was starting to see quite a lot of traction and people get it. But I think what people in, in AI, the sort of AI technology side, uh, don't realize is that industry is actually data literate. They just use kind of more old school statistical methods and they treat data in a different way, but they use it. And I think that there's, there's a learning process that people need to go through to understand the real value of AI solutions. And uh, I think... Part of the problem is that we see that these some of the big tech vendors talk about AI like it's here and it's ready to use. And the applications, because industry is so domain specific, mm -hmm. they don't have the, the knowledge about how to apply AI in a different way to the way they do their traditional statistical methods. So AI is the one that I see has the most amount of unfulfilled potential. And I think that's where 
the biggest sort of opportunity for startups are. And we, we see companies like yourselves that are trying, they're developing small applications, specific applications for specific challenges. And I think that's really the way to go to start embracing industry. Uh, I don't know if you guys find the same sort of thing with AI in particular and the fact that it's too much of a buzzword. Yeah, like absolutely. And again, I'm, I'm really kind of, it's quite vindicating in a lot of ways to hear what you're saying, you know, from your perspective. So with, particularly with AI, I really feel like the key to adoption in manufacturing is not, you know, trying to push forward processes or operations that are uncomfortable and revolutionary to folk. It's about incremental changes that fit within their world. You know, it's something that they kind of, they get, they understand it's native to them, but the results are revolutionary. And that's the critical thing. And I think all the way through, it has to be quantifiable as well. So you can't just adopt blockchain because it sounds great. You know, absolutely not. It has to be, you know, very much a case of what is it we're trying to achieve with this digital project? What are the kind of targets we're going to aim for? How do we know whether it's been a success or not? And then how can we actually... Uh, adopt it in the best way possible to be able to demonstrate value at the end of it. And that just goes back to the agile methodology though. It's not about going and buying a huge AI system from a big tech vendor. You know, what we're talking about here is looking at specific bits that add value and really focusing on that kind of minimum viable product or minimum viable feature, I guess you said, mentality and building up the capability. And, you know, in the UK as well, we have such a thriving tech ecosystem like we're, we're a global powerhouse here we've got a whole load of people that are available to use and for me that's what we're trying to promote is helping industry really make the most of that um, and help make the uk be a global tech player in in the manufacturing industries really brilliant that's really really interesting stuff nick so one of the big things that i wanted to talk to you about was the work that you guys are doing at digital catapult right now in manufacturing you know the projects that you're working on which are particularly interesting and and folk out there might be quite keen to hear about yeah so i mean i think our capability has meant that we we've had to adapt our strategy a little bit because what we've recognized is the fact that not only do we have our whole load of internal technology expertise across those four programs that i mentioned previously um, but we've got a massive network of startups who help provide some of that capability. So about 12,000 companies that we've kind of worked or have come through our doors in the past and have uh, seen our programs, sure. and about 3,000 that have actually been a part of some of our technology programs and the different activities we do. And what that's meant is the way, where we see digital being applied in industry. Um, mm. So we've got to recognize that we're not experts as an organization and also the, the tech sector that we represent are not experts in the manufacturing domain. I don't know everything about all the different processes. And so we've developed these kind of three areas where we see digital having the biggest impact, which is really around um, optimized operations, trusted supply chains, and sustainable services. And we've got some really interesting projects going on in all of those. Um, probably the, the optimized operations bucket is the thing where we see the most amount of interest and the most amount of traction. Sure. So we're doing various things in this where we're using a whole range of different technologies. So uh, we've worked with a glass manufacturer um, looking at deploying a proof of concept low power wide area network to monitor um, furnace that wow. runs at about 1600 degrees C. Sure. Um, we're basically putting a condition monitoring solution with thermal cameras 
connected through a network and then a sort of analytical dashboard to see the condition of the furnace wall yeah. and prevent catastrophic failure, which if you can imagine a, a yeah. huge uh, glass furnace breaking down is quite catastrophic. Absolutely. Uh, so that's a pretty cool project with some of the IoT stuff we're doing. On uh, the kind of trusted supply chain level, uh, we've got uh, an aerospace technology, uh, aerospace technology institute funded project uh, called Vitalengo. Mm-hmm. We're working with a kind of scale-up company called BioChain uh, to develop a, well, a DLT, a distributed ledger technology-based solution around the powder supply chain within additive manufacturing. Sure. Uh, sure. Looking at uh, basically creating that immutable record of powder condition as it transfers and develops through the supply chain. So where it comes out of the ground, where it gets turned into the powder, how it gets handled through the logistics mechanism, how it gets taken through the factory, how it gets processed through the machine, how it gets recycled through the machine and put back in, and looking at the condition and state of that powder to give uh, help, essentially, with product assurance. So that's a, a really cool project. We're doing quite a lot of work in food and drink. We've been successful in a project that we call the Digital Sandwich, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically looking at digitalizing the end-to-end sandwich supply chain, uh, including the um, agriculture people, like uh, actually made the raw ingredients, uh, a grocer, a logistics company, a, a sandwich manufacturer, all the way through to end users, including people like the NHS. And then we built, uh, we're building, or we will be building a full tech stack solution that goes on top of that. Mm. So a few AI, uh, sorry, uh, IoT companies doing sort of data gathering. We've got a couple of blockchain startups in there doing a sort of data distribution. A couple of universities doing the AI work. And then we're feeding into people like the Food Standards Agency to help drive that improved quality throughout the supply chain, improved transparency. Um, so that's a really cool project as well. And then that, that kind of sustainable services is the bit that's kind of most emerging, really. Um, we're running uh, an accelerator with Ericsson, yeah. who, uh, although not a manufacturer, um, well, I guess they are in some way, they make the hardware for 5G networks. Mm-hmm. But we're working with them to ultimately build a load of demo- demonstrable proof of concepts for 5G, industrial 5G, uh, in, uh, setting, in industrial environments. So we've onboarded uh, three manufacturing companies, some big names to be revealed very shortly. Exciting. We're working with Ericsson to basically build those uh, proof of concept demonstrators mm-hmm. and showcase them to the public, really, and show the value of 5G. Um, and we also have another project with a, a boiler company, um, again, a, a funded an industrial strategy challenge fund project um, where we're looking at they, they not only make boilers, but make all the sort of the sensors that can go around the home. And we're looking at trying to help them sell heaters to service, basically, mm. uh, warmth as a service, rather than just selling boilers and looking at that kind of data-based service outcome-based business model. So some really interesting projects across all those three pillars. Um, and it, it's been a really, really interesting time. And we're seeing engagement from, I mean, we even did a project last year with the Bloodhound land speed record where we went and deployed uh, a proof of, well, not even a proof of concept, we went and deployed a, a low power wide area network out in the Kalahari Desert and set up wind speed monitors yeah, yeah. kilometers down the racetrack and sure. monitored the wind speed and built a dashboard for the driver and the team. So awesome. that when they're running at 650 miles an hour, they can see the, the state and start to predict the patterns of the wind throughout the day. So not only some cool projects, but also really impactful as well, and they drive in the best of British engineering and manufacturing. Uh, it's, it's so 
exciting to hear you talking about this. You know, it makes me kind of very proud, if I'm honest, as well. The, we've had the interaction with Digital Catapult and, you know, the, the work that you guys are doing now. I really do feel genuinely like Digital Catapult is the kind of ideal partner to bring together digital technologies, innovation, you know, industry bodies, big companies, small companies, you know, medium-sized companies, really kind of bring everyone together for common goods that are, you know, genuinely very meaningful projects and pieces of work. So, I mean, it sounds, sounds like it's a very rewarding place to work as well. Yeah, it's, I, I, I love it, actually. It's <laughs> absolutely fantastic. Comes across. Even the kind of, um, the time that we're in now has really focused the mind as well. Uh, you know, really makes you think about, you know, how, how we can do our bit to, to help industry and really that, that bit that you were talking about earlier, the, the opportunity that there is for companies to think about innovation. Mm. Um, that's got to be in our sweet spot, but also in people like Shires, it's a, it's a tremendous opportunity that we need to really think carefully about how we're going to help industry and ultimately restore us back to being world leaders, both in the manufacturing sector, but also you know, a, a, a digital manufacturing sector as well. Awesome. Oh, on that note, Nick, do you have any kind of, you know, last uh, comments, advice, insights to share with, with the folks out there listening? I mean, I, I guess the uh, first and foremost thing is ultimately keeping everyone, everybody safe and keeping their business running has, has got to remain the number one priority. Mm. It, it's, it's a very strange time and as much as we want to try and help the early adoption and help innovation around advanced digital technologies. I absolutely recognize the, the priorities of our sector. But what, once those measures are in place and we do start returning to work, I really would encourage everybody to start thinking about, um, you know, how they can start doing things differently and reach out to not only the catapult, but people like UJ and people like Akshay and the rest of the startup ecosystem. There's tons of great content out there and there's there's other kind of startups that are doing things like Watch Hire doing and they're putting themselves out there and helping educate industry and mm. it's, it's all there for the taking. There's lots of great content and you just have to be willing to go and get it because otherwise the people that are willing to feed it to you are going to be the, the big tech technology <laughs> companies that want to take, take over your business. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, and I would encourage everyone to, to be a little bit more proactive in trying to learn what the different kind of bits of capability are. Because like you say, your solution is not something that necessarily you have to go and uh, spend a load of time developing in-house. You, mm. know, you can try it out. You can deliver value really, really quickly. Mm. Um, and it's that kind of level of curiosity that I think we just need to start with. And I think it will snowball from there. I'm, I'm, I have a really good feeling about this. It's really exciting. Actually, just, you know, last one, and I said the, the last one was the last one, but to someone out there who's listening from a you know small medium-sized business who might kind of listen to what you're saying and say that's all well and good if i'm a huge you know 50 50 50 100 company with billions in revenue but do, do you have any kind of specific advice for the kind of small medium-sized businesses then who you know are living hand to mouth I, I i think it's a similar sort of message to be honest yeah um like we've done a couple of programs um with SMEs before, and we ran an open call to find out, uh, to basically, we had some, some money from our funders Innovate UK uh, to help SME businesses, and we put the open call out there to see who was interested, 
And there was a couple of companies, it's on our website actually, uh, the Connected Factory program with uh, Special Metals Wiggling and Dyer Engineering. Mm-hmm. Dyer Engineering are uh, like, you know, they're not a big business. They're about 90 people in total that make all sorts of bits in the automotive sector based up near Newcastle. And, uh, you know, they were curious. They, they put their hand up, they made an application, they were successful, and now they've got Bluetooth low energy asset tracking system in awesome. their factory that's already delivering value for them. And, you know, I think that there, 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 there's always needs to be more help, right? There's always more we can do, but it, it, it takes people to, to have a bit of drive. There, there are a load of good examples. And if you get, if you start looking at the Made Smarter program, um, there's a, an initiative going on in the northwest, a pilot for SME manufacturing businesses where they can get up to £20,000 of match funding mm-hmm. for digital technologies. And, you know, that's a fantastic program that we're really hoping will get rolled out nationally. And it's just providing that side, not only the financial support, but the, the sort of technology expertise. So they have these industrial digital technology advisors that can go into businesses help them map out where the opportunities for digital technology are. So we're starting to evolve, and Made Smarter is a, a, a fantastic program to, to kind of get the ball rolling on that. I think we need more momentum. We need more people crying out for it, basically. Mm. Uh, uh, not only the uh, finance that it provides, or not the finance, the uh, match funding that it provides, but that support, because it's that knowledge that's really key to make these solutions learn. Awesome. Great. Nick, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on as, as kind of one of the first guests. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I've learned loads. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jake. No, it's been fantastic. And we wish uh, you guys at Chai all the best. So that's it for today. As always, please do get in touch if you feel like you've got something different to say and you'd like to come on the podcast as a future guest. If you've also got any themes, topics, or people you'd like us to interview in future episodes, Again, let me know. My email address is jake at chai-uk.com. If you enjoyed Time for Chai, I'd really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Today's podcast was produced by Alejandro Giron of Giron & Co. Podcasting Services. Special thanks to my colleagues Stephen Butler, Chris Evans and Marcus Dixon. It was written and hosted by myself, Jake Jacobs. Have a great week. See you next time.